and it's going to include a story about um, the crimson worm and the dirt God loves. <laughs> so I know that sounds like an interesting title, but yeah, it's going to be another book. And um, although um, what I have to share with you today, um, when we get to the story from the perspective of, of the crimson worm, um, is complete in itself, but I am um, feeling from God that it could go a lot longer um, and bring out the revelation of Jesus Christ through the whole Bible. So um, we're, we're basically going to be in Genesis in the first three chapters in, the, in what I have to share today, but it's powerful. Um, and uh, so last week um, I talked about the light and um, the light of God and talked about God's will and testimony being the giving of himself and his life to us. And so today, as when I share the story, just, I just want you to stretch your imagination with me and, and I hope you get swept away as I have been swept away with the Father and what I have to share with you. And so we are going to reveal again the will and testament of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ for us and as us, and the extent God would go through to die away our death by the shedding of his blood through Christ our Lord, through the story of this worm. Um, and most of the facts I found out about the crimson worm really kind of stopped right there with the death and the shedding of Jesus' blood, which of course it does point to. But I found very little talking about the life that came forth there on the cross. And so that's what I see um, and what God has shown me. So I hope to bring more of that out. Okay, we talked about that. This little scarlet worm has really captured my attention. And I couldn't help but think about what Nicodemus or what Jesus said to Nicodemus when he said, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Just like the earthly tabernacle was patterned after and to reflect the heavenly tabernacle, and just like the serpents on the pole that Moses lifted up in the desert, so that all who looked upon it would be healed from the snake's bite, prophesying of Jesus. If we look closely, we can see how this crimson worm seems to have been created by God to reflect the heavenly as well. And as we learn more today, um, we'll see what she carried inside of her. It was so much more than meets the eye. She had a, trision, a, tr a hidden treasure <laughs> giving testimony to the life, death, and resurrection, the life that came forth. So Tula, uh, is the name I've given to the crimson worm in the story, spelled T-O-O-L-A. Um, I gave Matt um, a paper. You, you can pass it around, and it has the spellings of her name in, in other ways and in the um, Hebrew and in the pictograph. So I thought that was interesting if you want to look at it. Her ancestry goes way back to 6 B.C., not the sixth year, but the sixth day. But before we get to her story, I'm going to share with you, um, I'm going to go through the, 
what the crimson worm is and then share what God brought forth in each aspect of her life. I already posted some of my notes and took a big chunk out and put it on um, the Gospel Revolution Church Bible study page because the worm, the word worm is used in the Bible and it always refers to the crimson worm. Um, so I posted some notes on when God uh, called Jacob a worm in Isaiah. So you'll have to just go back and read those because there wasn't room to go into all of that. <laughs> Uh, the crimson worm can be found on low-growing shrub-like trees called the, the Israeli common oak or the Palestine oak. These trees are a variety of the Kermes oak. In earlier times, the name of this insect was known as the couscous silicus. Now, that could be the right pronunciation, and maybe it's not, because somebody else on Google said... Cacus alicius. So I don't know. <laughs> so just forgive my translations. <laughs> um, also known by the modern name of Kermes vermilio. The designation of vermilio is telling us that this little creature is a worm. Although small and seemingly insignificant and not particularly looking much like a worm, this little insect was the key source in ancient times for the blood red dye called crimson or scarlet in the world and mentioned throughout the Bible. <clears throat> in fact, the word crimson itself comes from the word kermes and can be traced back to the Arabic al-kormes, which means crimson, and likely originated from the ancient Sanskrit word krimja, meaning worm made. So those are all just facts you probably don't really care about. Um, an interesting aspect of this creature, though, is what it goes through in order to birth its young. While the insects are born with legs, the females eventually lose the use of their legs, which is apparently why they were given the designation of a worm. Shortly thereafter, the following amazing events happen. When the female of the scarlet worm species was ready to give birth to her young, she would attach her body to the trunk of a tree, fixing herself so firmly and permanently that she would never leave again. She would actually die on the tree. As I pondered this, I wondered how willing are we to fix ourselves on the tree, on the cross, and go through the birth pains when we feel like we're dying waiting for fruit to come forth. How willing am I? How willing am I to die daily to the life in the world or the way I think things should be in my life? So lately, um, you know, trying to get around with this boot on my leg, waiting for the bone to heal, it's, I've, you know, had moments where I've, days where I felt like I was nailed to a tree. <laughs> And um, I started, you know, of course, talking with the Father through it, fellowshipping with the faith, and really thinking about, you know, I'm not looking forward to um, feeling peace when my leg is healed. I'm, I'm after the peace now. You know, the peace that comes from abiding in the vine, the peace that passes understanding. 
That's what I'm after. I'm after what the Holy Spirit is interceding in my heart, which is the peace of God and the rest. Because this could be a lot worse. I mean, what if I lost my leg? You know, then is peace found in having two legs? You know, or is peace found in the life we have in Christ? And so, as I've been thinking about you know, how willing, you know, last week I had mentioned the time we give to God, you know, in fellowshipping with him, in intimacy with him, in reading his word, in praise and worship, in hearing a message, he gives back. And he gives back so much more than what we think we need. Okay. So notice how the worm actually becomes, you could say, one with or grafted into the tree, abiding there for the rest of her life. That's where we're supposed to be. So a couple verses from John 15. Try to think of them as the place we are to abide in the context of being on the cross, fellowshipping with the faith of the Son of God through the tribulations we go through. The tribulations that work patience and patience experience and experience hope, waiting for God's fruit to come forth. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Thinking about the worm on the tree, I couldn't help but think of Jesus on the cross, his legs unable to move, having willingly allowed himself to be nailed to the tree for us. Now, if all we know of the cross is that it is a place of suffering and death, not understanding what was dying, the body of death, and what we were crucified with Christ too, having life by the wisdom of the world, the strength of our flesh, the old man, and what we have been raised up into, his life and immortality, the new man, the new creation, then we, don't, then we won't want to abide with him on the cross. All we will see is a worm dying on a tree. Our hearts will become subverted and all we will experience is suffering and death and the corruption in us and all around us and miss out on the intimacy of fellowshipping with the, with the Father, the life of the Father and the faith that came forth there in Jesus and the fruit that, of his life that he wants to bring forth in us. It's not easy and the last place we want to be and the only one who could ever do it perfectly was Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it when we give him the time and we consider the cross and the life and the resurrection. Jesus was not permanently fixed to death. Death is the thing that died on the cross and life came forth in the midst. The faith and the promise of the Father was the thing Jesus was permanently fixed on and abiding in. That's what enabled him to stay on the cross and endure the immense pain and the accusations hurled against him and pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
and cry out to him into your hands. I commit my spirit and he gave up the ghost. While abiding on the tree, this little worm makes a hard shell to protect the little eggs she lays under herself. When the larvae hatch, they live protected under her body until they are able to enter their own life cycle. Like the hard shield she makes to protect her little eggs, God is our shield. God said to Abraham in Genesis, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The life we have in Christ now, his life is the shield of our lives. We are hid in him, sealed by the Holy Spirit, having been born from above, born of the same incorruptible seed as Christ, we are clothed and kept securely in him, continually filled and built up daily, <clears throat> excuse me, unto the full measure of who God is in us, until we are raised up in glorified immortal flesh and bone. God the Father sealed up his will and testament in Christ Jesus, like we talked about last week, and we are sealed up in him. He is our shield, and that shell just reminded me of him being our shield. What you need to know is the crimson worm has to die in order for the color to be extracted. Without the death of the worm, there is no blood red scarlet dye to be of use to humans. But furthermore, and of greater significance, she also must sacrifice herself to bear offspring. It cannot bear offspring without dying, for it forever attaches itself to the tree in order to protect its young while they wait to come forth at their proper time. And as the mother died, the crimson fluid flowed out of her body, staining the surrounding wood and permanently marking her offspring for the rest of their lives with her likeness. It's powerful, right? Without the giving of her life, there'd be no offspring of her own Without the shedding of her scarlet blood, there is no fruit coming forth from her. Without the shedding of her blood, there is no one coming after her in her likeness. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. Such a beautiful picture, this little worm paints for us of Jesus on the cross, shedding his blood that he might bring many sons unto glory, marking us with the life and immortality of the Father. It is a picture of God reproducing after his own kind on the cross, fulfilling his desire to be exceedingly fruitful and bring forth many children in his image and likeness. So I'm going to give you one example of the scarlet dye used in the Bible. Um, it's from Hebrews 9, uh, the faith translation. For when Moses had spoken every precept to instruct all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats mixed with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book of the covenant and all the people, saying, <clears throat> this is the blood that testifies of all that God will do 
and which he has charged be done concerning you. So Moses said, this blood testifies of what God will do concerning us. They used to take the wool, and, and this is what God, how God said to do it, to take the wool and dip it in the scarlet dye. And then they would use that dyed uh, wool to, to put into the blood to sprinkle. So if we jump to Matthew 26, 27, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins, not the blood of bulls and goats to be sprinkled repeatedly with scarlet wool and hyssop, but his blood shed once for all. Do this now in remembrance of me. This is now what testifies of what God had in mind to do and charged to be done all along concerning us when death first entered. So when the larvae hatch, they live protected under her body and the little worms feed, feed on their mother for initial sustenance before going forth into the world. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is my body broken for you. Take, eat. The worm babies fed on their mother for their initial sustenance. But Jesus is our daily sustenance. When the little young worms are able to look after themselves, the mother dies, and another amazing thing happens. Three days after the death of the mother, the, her body loses the remainder of its scarlet red color and changes into a kind of white wax, which falls to the ground like snow. The body of the worm turns into a snow-white jelly with the view of a fluff of white wool that falls to the ground. Isaiah 1.18 immediately came to my mind. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, the red color, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, the worm, they shall be white as wool. Her body changing into a kind of white wax also reminded me of what Jesus said in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen. He said, my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. And then her body falling to the ground reminded me, of course, as I'm sure it all came to your minds, of the manna. The manna God provided in the desert and our true bread from heaven, Christ Jesus. In the scriptures, uh, one translation of her name in Hebrew, Tola, the term basically means devourer in respect to the appetite of the insect which feeds on the sap of the tree. But here's how I saw it in respect to what is devoured. As Jesus fed on the sap, of the Father's life and the life he shared with him in the beginning, it became a tree of life to him and strengthened him to endure the death that came to devour us. 
Death came to devour us, but Jesus came to devour death. Yeah. Well, I can really see that in, that, in the Tola right there. Um, in Psalm 22.6, we see um, the, the word worm again. In fact, we see Jesus saying, I am a worm. So we're going to talk about that. Um, the psalmist makes the declaration, Enoki Tolat. Tolat is the crimson worm, just another pronunciation and way of spelling it. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. This is Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22. When we read Jesus saying, I am a worm, let's make clear Jesus is not calling himself a worm. We can understand the worm symbolically because it is speaking of flesh. Though a worm doesn't have human flesh, it still contains and depends upon the blood in it to live. But Jesus isn't depending upon the strength or the blood in his flesh to live, is he? So how is Jesus interpreting it when he says, I am a worm? Is that what he thinks the Father thinks of him as? Nothing but a worm? No, <laughs> of course not. Let us not forget, this is God, Father, Son, and Spirit in Jesus, who came to us, born of a woman, taking upon the likeness of our sinful, corruptible flesh. And he did it for one reason and one reason alone, to die the body of our death away. Death had entered through a man, the first Adam, and so the resurrection from death needed to come through a man, Jesus, the second Adam, the God-man. God clothed his incorruptible seed inside of flesh, incorruptible seed of life inside the flesh of Jesus to bring us out of the grave in incorruptible flesh as he did him. So this is what is more of what Jesus is saying in Psalm 22, 6. But man has said in his heart, I am but a worm and not a man and disapproved by God. He will leave me for dead. But I, the son of man, am despised and rejected of men, not by God, not by my father, but by men. In other words, man lived with a subverted heart and soul, thinking they were also worms, dis disapproved of by God, trying to earn his approval, looking to each other and by the works of the flesh to lift themselves up. So they saw nothing but an insignificant worm not considered approved of by God, nor themselves, because they measured themselves by themselves. They saw only a worm dying on a tree, looking as though he had been forsaken by God and left to return to the dust from which they thought he came. They looked at his outward appearance, his flesh, and the lack of strength in his flesh. They saw that scarlet stuff, his blood flowing down, not realizing it was for them he went to the cross and laid his life down. All they saw was the outward flesh of man, the worm, and thinking he was despised and rejected by God, but it was they who despised and rejected him. And they missed the Son of the living God revealing the Father and the faith of the Father there with him in their midst on the cross as he shed his blood, laying down the life of the flesh for the life of the Father as he cried out, Abba, 
So let me ask you, if you are about to take your last breath, who are you going to call out to? Are you going to call upon someone who isn't there with you? Jesus cried out to Abba on the cross. He cried out to the Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. You don't cry out to somebody if you don't think they're there with you. And you don't put your life in their hands unless you also know they have something to give you. You don't cry out to someone if you think they despise you, reject you, or have forsaken you. In another place, we read Jesus told his disciples, You will all leave and forsake me. It will look like I am alone, but I will not be alone, for my Father is with me. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If only those mocking him at the crucifixion and those who beat him and nailed him to the cross had understood who he was and the hidden wisdom of God in him on that tree. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but they stumbled over that stumbling block and they missed the divine act and intervention of God on their behalf and his unfathomable love for them put on display in all wisdom and power as foolishness. They had not come unto the love of God nor knowledge and understanding of what was lifted up before them, crucified on the cross. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Did not the Lord of glory say, A body you have prepared for me? In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God, that they would be sanctified and perfected forever through the offering of my body? my body prepared and offered for them once for all. God prepared a body for Christ, for his word, and God has prepared a body for us in his exact likeness of immortality. And in a similar way, God prepared an insect, a little worm, to resemble the death of Christ Jesus on the cross and also the way, the truth, and the life which came for us. So by far my favorite way of seeing, seeing Tula's name is the way it is written in the ancient pictographic, pictographic Hebrew in Psalm 22.6, often called the Old Negev, with the addition of the letter Tav. This provides us with a powerful imagery to behold. The letter Tav was actually depicted exactly like the cross. I'm going to show you a picture of that. You might not be able to see it on camera, but as you can see, um, I am a worm. Here's the cross. We read from, what is that, right to left. <laughs> and so we see the cross right before I am a worm. If you want to take that, pass it around. I just thought that that was really powerful because we see the cross, the shedding of Christ's blood for us, for without the shedding of his blood, there is no other sacrifice. There's no remission, no forgiveness, no sending away of sin and death for us. And of course, as I pondered the crimson worm on the tree, I also saw, well, you know, I, I skipped this part. Um, the Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So Christ crucified in the shedding of his blood. Coming at the beginning of that, I am a worm. 
is the end of sin and death. That's how I saw that with the, with the cross there. Um, one more thing I thought of as I pondered the crimson worm was the um, serpent lifted up on the pole. <laughs> as Jesus drawing all judgment of sin and death unto himself and judging us worthy of life. So in Numbers 21, we read that Israel had just had a major victory by the hand of the, hand of the Lord in conquering the Canaanites. But the hearts of the people were still not fixed on God nor God's promise to be with them and be their life. Instead, their hearts were filled with the life that they could have in the world by the blood in their flesh the way of the serpent and his wisdom. So much so that they had longed to go back to Egypt as slaves in bondage. And remember, these are a stiff-necked people, nevertheless a people that God dearly loved. So they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of Red Sea, and all the people were discouraged because of the way, the hardships. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. So you've brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. There's no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread, the manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So I thought, what killed the people, God or the fiery serpents? Well, we know God didn't kill the people. I wonder if, in fact, God actually sent the fiery serpents. Did he send them, or did the fiery serpents appear as a result of the death in the world that animated their hearts and blinded their sight? Something to think about. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when it looketh upon it, shall live. We were all bitten by death. <laughs> and Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon the pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. In John 3, we see Jesus having just explained to Nicodemus about being born from above, reminding him <clears throat> of this earthly thing God used to demonstrate the heavenly thing that must take place. John 3, 9 through 17, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so all of that and a whole lot more God showed me and brought me to, and that's what I've been meditating upon um, as I pondered this crimson worm. And then he started birthing this story. So now we're coming to the story. Tulo was born on day six, as I said before, of creation from the dust of the ground, and so was Mr. Tula, her husband. This story is mostly about Tula, but we can't leave Mr. Tula out because his purpose in life was and is very important. You see, inside Mr. Tula contained the seed to create more Tulas. Once you get to know their story, you will understand it's no coincidence the Tulas were created by God, and on the same day, he created Adam from the dirt of the ground. God created the Tulas for a very special purpose in serving mankind. But to understand what their purpose was, we have to look beyond the surface of what they appear to be and see the treasure hidden inside them. We might look at the Tula and think that they are nothing but a nuisance or a pest, that they are nothing but a lowly worm. From the dust they were created and to the dust they will return. But those that have eyes to see understand. This worm has a lot more to it than meets the eye. Nothing is insignificant in God's creation, even a worm. Through the thousands of years Tula has existed, we have been given a glorious glimpse into the heart and plan of God our Father and the beautiful testimony and treasure God hid inside of her, pointing to himself for all the world to see. The testimony God has given to his whole family in heaven and earth and even the earth itself to know him and what he has to give us, which is his love, faith and everlasting life. Oh, the breadth and length and depth and height God went through in order to prove his love and faith to us and his deepest desire to share his life with us so we would be filled full of all he is and all he has to give us so we'd, we would be strengthened by him all the days of our life. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might in his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. The very first Tula, born on day six, learned and saw so many things, but three things so wonderful. 
so marvelous and so beautiful stood out to her so much she could hardly contain it. One of them being God, who is also known as the Lord, God, creator and giver of life, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and King of Kings, Messiah, Lion of Judah, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Abba, the Word, the Faith, the Light, the Way, the Truth, the Life, and about a hundred other wonderful names. Wonderful Counselor being another one. The second that Tula loved was the Dirt Man, Adam. And the third was called the Tree of Life. She loved all of them and was particularly drawn to the tree of life that Father God planted. In fact, she loved that tree so much she decided no matter where she lived, she would seek to live out her life on a tree. So every Tula after her would live out their lives in search of a special tree to cling to. But even the first Tula didn't fully understand why these three captivated her. In fact, she would die before she did. But because they so captivated her heart and attention, she made sure she taught her children everything she saw and learned. She told them to never forget it and to keep passing down to all their children what they also saw and learned. And this continued through every generation. So every family of Tula taught and instructed all the Tulas coming after them. Everything they saw and learned about the father, the dirt man, Adam, and the tree. Starting from the first Tula and passed on to all the other Tulas throughout history and to this very day. Every Tula growing in wisdom and stature, storing up in their hearts all they saw and learned. The way of the Tula and their lives has given testimony to the way of God for thousands of years and will continue until the fullness and completeness of their time. The same reason the first Tula was created would be the same reason the last Tula was created and every Tula in between. We are all Tula. <laughs> the Tulas are known as worms, but don't look anything like their cousins, the earthworms, who burrow in the dirt. Even Mr. and Mrs. Tula looked quite different from each other. Nevertheless, they were made by God for each other. So I have a picture here of, this is Tula, the female crimson worm, and this is the male Tula, <laughs> Mr. Tula. Quite different from each other. Mr. Tula, for short, we're just going to call him Mr. T, was longer with a straight body and had wings on both sides of his body. You see that? <laughs> to Tula, he kind of looked like a, the shape of a tree, with his wings resembling arms or branches coming out the sides of him, one on the right and one on the left. Mr. T could fly, but Tula herself could not. She did not have wings. Mr. T was like the wind, moving and hovering. Sometimes he even appeared to be stirring and shaking, 
fluttering about as in a happy dance in search of his very own Tula to share his seed and life with and make a family together. A family that would share in their same love and union. This dance of her husband reminded Tula of the Spirit of God after she had learned how he moved upon the face of the deep waters, so full of the eternal everlasting life he had within himself to give, so full of who he is, light, love, life, goodness, faithfulness, joy, peace, grace, and so much more. She heard how he moved upon the face of the deep like a bird about to give birth. She heard she had to hear because she was born on day six, so she wasn't there, right? Stirring and shaking, he was, fluttering in certainty and joyful anticipation over the creation of earth and all the little ones he would bring forth in his nest. Tula looked more like a small round grub. She had little legs for walking and climbing and a scarlet red shell. Tula was glad for her little legs because with them she was able to climb trees, which she loved to do. Tula was glad that even though she was known as a worm, she didn't act like a worm. She had too much respect for the dust of the ground to want to crawl in it. Even when she walked on it to get from tree to tree, she walked ever so gently and lightly not wanting even her little footprints left in the dust. Over time, as she treasured and saw and learned about God, the dirt man in all of creation, she would come to understand why God loved them so much and live out her very special and unique purpose on earth. Tula knew she was good because she heard God say it on the day God created her. She saw that she was made from the dust of the ground, just like all the animals and other creatures God had made to walk on the earth, and she heard that they were good too. Tula really began to understand how good this dirt was when she saw something even more beautiful, when she saw God make humans the first Adam. She was there when God created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female, out of the same dust of the ground she was made from. She saw God breathe his breath of life into Adam and heard God call them both by the same name, Adam. She heard God say that they were very good. Tula wondered why God called them both Adam. She learned it was because Adam means earthy, made of the dust, the dirt of the ground. The dirt contained all the minerals inside to give shape and form to a body that could contain life. But the only thing the dirt of the ground doesn't have is the breath of God's life and his likeness. Tula herself was almost breathless. In wonder and amazement, that day she saw Father God breathe into Adam, who was made in God's image. She watched in joyful anticipation as God got down on his knee and bowed to Adam and blessed him, promising Adam that he would decorate him in his own likeness 
with his eternal, immortal, incorruptible, everlasting life, and that Adam would be fruitful and multiply in his father's life. Wow, Tula shouted, what a good, good father we have. Oh, how he loves Adam. Tula watched everything God did. She especially enjoyed watching the Lord God and Father plant a beautiful garden in the east of Eden and called it the Garden of Eden. There he put the man he formed. Not wanting to miss one thing, Tula scurried ever so gently over the dirt and through the green grass, past all the other trees, plants, and animals, and followed them into the garden. It was the most beautiful place on the earth so far that Tula had seen, and she never wanted to leave it. She watched as God formed and planted for Adam to see more trees pleasant to the sight and good for food, including two of what seemed to Tula to be very special trees. One was called the tree of life and the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tula became infatuated with the tree of life. Though they both looked good sitting in the midst of the garden, Tula sensed the tree of life was so much more than met the eye. Plus, the fruit on it really did look so good. After planting the trees, again the Lord God and Father formed for Adam to watch and see, him as creator and the giver of life, more of every animal and bird in the garden and brought them to Adam to name each one of them. The elephant, the giraffe, the lamb, the sheep, an ox, and hippo too. Adam named every creature big and small, even the creeping things and the flying things that God had made. He even named Tula the crimson worm. God made two of every animal and bird, one male and one female. Adam couldn't help but wonder where his other one was, his female. Tula began to wonder the same thing. After all, even Tula had a Mr. Tula. Tula thought she might mention it to the father, that perhaps maybe he forgot something. But then, after observing how much father seemed to love, know, and enjoy everything about Adam, she decided he probably already had it figured out and decided to wait and watch. And the day came when she was glad she waited. God did indeed know that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So he created a female helpmate for Adam, someone to love and who would be with him in enjoying and sharing God's life together, someone to make a bigger family with someone who would be there to remind Adam of the life he had with God as his father and for Adam to remind her. So God created Eve. Eve was created differently by God than the male Adam. Eve was taken out of Adam's dirt body after God had caused him to fall into a deep sleep. He did not make her from a separate pile of dirt, but formed her from Adam's flesh and bone. When Adam woke up, he was pleasantly surprised and said, She is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She doesn't look like any of the animals. She looks like me. We are one and the same. 
I will call her woman because she came from my body and she became his wife. It was a very special day for Adam and Eve and also for Tula because on that day she married Mr. T. Later on another day, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all mankind and Tula would also become a mother. Tula loved Adam and Eve. She loved to watch them play, run, dance, and walk with God in the garden he planted for them. She always tried to sit close to them on the lush green grass so she could hear their conversations. Those conversations were so full of life and filled with joy. As she listened, she recalled the day God told Adam he could eat from any of the trees in the garden and they would be food for him and the two special trees God planted in the midst of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tula always sensed something very special about that tree of life, and she sure hoped they would eat from it because its leaves were so green and its branches so strong. Even the trunk and the bark on the tree was beautiful. When the light shone on that tree in the cool of the day, it seemed to reflect every color in the garden. The tree of life seemed so much more inviting than all the other trees. Its fruit was so ripe, so perfect, lush, juicy, and delicious looking. She wished she could take a bite. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked very similar to it when God first planted it in the garden. But in a short time it changed and began to lose its beauty. It started to look like a pine tree whose needles were dropping. At one time it shone bright and beautiful, but lately it looked like a Christmas tree with broken ornaments and whose lights were going out one by one. Tula discovered what happened as she closely observed that tree. She saw that it had pulled up its roots out of the river of life that it once drank from. The life God had given it to shine bright and tall taller than any of the other trees in the garden, in fact, to point to the tree of life. This made Tula sad, and she hoped Adam and Eve would see what she saw and not eat of it, especially after the day she heard Father God come into the garden and warn them not to eat of it, because if they did, they would die. Tula didn't know what death was exactly, but she knew it couldn't be a good thing. Then one day she found out what death and dying was. It was a sad, terrible day, but also a day of promise and hope, a day she would not forget. When she saw the longing, love, and compassion in Abba's heart for his children, his Adam, and what he did to show them, he would keep his promise of life to them. The day Tula found out what death was started out as every other day. Another gorgeous sunrise, the birds singing happily, the animals waking to the sound of their little ones, eager to play and explore green pastures. Adam and Eve bathing under the waterfall and then strolling through the garden, both naked and unashamed in the embrace of the light, without a care in the world and Mr. T and Tula enjoying their breakfast of sweet sap from the Kermes oak tree. 
After breakfast, Tula noticed Adam and Eve hanging around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She crawled down the tree and walked gently over the dirt and through the green grass to get closer to them. When she got there, she saw them talking to a sly and suspicious-looking snake. Tula did not have a good feeling about this snake or his conversation with them. She didn't like it one bit. She had seen this snake before hanging around, hanging around that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She had watched it slither up the tree and wrap itself around one of its branches so tightly it dried up and fell off. She didn't like the hiss of this snake either. She didn't trust it at all. In fact, she had concluded it was the snake's fault that the tree had started to lose its beauty. She heard the snake tell Eve that God had lied to them and that they would not die if they ate the fruit from the tree, but instead they would be like God, knowing good and evil. Tula couldn't believe it. She became angry at the snake because she knew God would never lie. She saw what a good father he was to Adam and Eve and to all of creation and how much he loved them. They can't possibly fall for this, she thought. They know better. But they really didn't know better. God didn't create them to know better, but to know him. That was the task that God gave to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to do before it took its roots out of the river of life. It was, suppo it was supposed to tell Adam to go to God, to go eat from the tree of life, the wisdom of God. See, they didn't know what evil was. All they had known was God's goodness. And that's the place God had created them to function in. Not from a place of knowing better, they didn't know that trying to be like God without God was evil and that doing things to be like him, like eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, would really bring forth death in them and a hard life for them on the earth. They hadn't experienced a lie before because God never lies. So they didn't know that lies and death were evil and that the snake had become the father of lies that dwelt in a wisdom called death. And that's when the terrible thing happened. Eve took her eyes off of Father God and what he had said and what he had done and promised, forgetting his goodness and promise to serve them with his life and because she did that, she was deceived. All Eve could see was that the fruit of the tree did look good for food, and all she could think was, well, if it makes us like God, why not take a bite? And as Eve reached out to take the fruit from the snake, Tula began shouting, no, 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 don't take it, don't eat it, please don't eat it. Remember what your father said. But being a very small worm, whose voice was not very loud, Eve didn't hear her, and she took the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to Adam, who looked at his wife with tears in his eyes, knowing full well death had now entered her, and not wanting to be separated from her because he loved her so much, he ate too. And immediately death entered Adam, and their eyes were opened, and they saw they were naked, 
and they were ashamed. So they found a fig tree and sewed its leaves together to make clothes for themselves and put them on to hide their nakedness and cover up the death, try to cover up the fear as well that had come upon them and in their hearts. Tula's heart broke for Adam and Eve, and so did God's. He never wanted his precious children to experience death and hide the beauty of who they were and how he created them to live. He never wanted them to clothe themselves with a false image of themselves or of him. He never wanted them to live in fear or try to serve themselves with life to be like him. Instead, he wanted, to, he wanted to serve them with his life and likeness for all their days, for all eternity. His desire for them was that they would eat from the tree of life first and live in innocence, carefree with God as their good father to care for them and live forever with him on the earth. Mr. T wrapped his wings around Tula as she wept for Adam and Eve. Then they watched and listened as the Lord God, their father, came into the garden and called out to Adam. Where are you, Adam? What are you thinking, my son? The man replied, I am hiding because I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the father said, Who told you that you were naked, son? Did you eat from the tree that I warned you not to eat from? Adam replied, yes, I did. After Eve ate, she gave the fruit to me, and I ate too. The father said to Eve, what is this you've done? And the woman replied, the serpent deceived me, and I did eat. Tula's eyes were wide as she waited anxiously to hear what the Lord God would say next. And he turned to the serpent, and with power and authority that seemed to shake the earth, he said, Because you have done this, you are now cursed above all cattle and beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Not only that, but I will also put open hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and her direct descendant. He shall crush your head, and all you will be able to do is strike his heel. Tula, not feeling one bit sorry for that snake, shouted a big hurrah to that. He is going to crush your head, you slithering serpent. I think I may have even heard a very strong, yes, amen. <laughs> but she felt immense grief after hearing what the Lord God and Father said next. And with great sorrow in his voice, the Father said to the man and woman, because you did not heed my warning to you and remember my words spoken to you and the promise I made you, Death has now entered you and the world. And because of death, from now on, your lives will be very hard because you'll forever be tempted to enlist the strength of your own flesh to give yourselves life 
and not look to me for it. This is sin. Looking to yourself for life instead of receiving my life that I promise to give you. From now on, your daily lives will not be easy for you. There will be pain and sorrow. There will be hardships. And one day you will surely die and you will return to the dust from which I formed you. Tears poured down Tula's face as she heard his words and saw the grief, sorrow, and longing in his eyes. How it broke his heart to tell his dearly loved children, his precious man and woman, that he lovingly formed with his own hands from the dirt and breathed his breath of life into the things that would happen to them. For the first time, Tula knew what death was, and so did the man and woman. She understood more as she watched God move with purpose and compassion for his children in what he did next to clothe them. She watched as the Lord God caused a nearby lamb to fall into a deep sleep, a sleep so deep the breath of life in it left and the blood of the lamb was shed. When Tula saw the blood, she gasped as she realized, the blood is the same color crimson as me, and scarlet red flows through my veins. Why would God make me the same color as blood? Her eyes turned back to God to see what he would do next. And the father took the skins from the lamb and made garments from it for the man and the woman. He went to Adam and Eve and removed the fig leaves they had clothed themselves with, and he clothed their nakedness with the garments he made from the lamb. He clothed their physical bodies and he clothed their hearts to remove the fear that had come upon them. In this act of love and faithfulness towards them, God their Father spoke a word to them that he would still and forever be their sufficiency. Even though now death had come into the world, he would be their shield and exceeding great reward. He would be their inheritance. Tula's eyes grew wide in awe and utter amazement and trembled inside her body at what the Lord God had done. She understood exactly what the father had said in what he had done, in clothing the man and woman his, himself, because she knew he was a good father. She understood that he was keeping his promise to clothe them with his life and be there for them, even though they had not listened to him and death had entered. She didn't know when or how they would receive his promise from the beginning, that they would inherit his likeness, his eternal immortal life, but she guessed it had something to do with a lamb. After the father clothed Adam and Eve, he said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. We cannot let them eat from the tree of life now, because they will live forever in death, and they will not be able to receive the inheritance of my eternal life and immortality in glorified bodies on a glorified earth. I knew it, I knew it, exclaimed Tula. I knew the father would keep his promise. 
He would never let them live forever in death. He is a promise keeper. But the next part wasn't so pleasant because it meant leaving the beautiful Garden of Eden God had put them in. So the Lord God sent them forth from the garden to do the thing God had said would happen because of death. Work the ground from which they came. In other words, work the ability in their own little dirt bodies to try to have life. He drove out the man and stationed cherubim on the east side of the Garden of Eden, along with a whirling sword of flame to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Oh, how I will miss the garden, but even more so, the beautiful Tree of Life, Mr. T. Her husband replied, We don't have to leave, Tula. Only Adam and Eve have to leave. Yes, I know, my husband, but I love those two so much because I see how much Father God loves them. I want to stay with them and follow them all their days. I know that the Lord God and Father will still look after them. It's not in his heart to be separated from them. I know he will help them. He will still talk with them and be with them because he has a plan. I just know it. You heard him. The serpent's head is going to be crushed one day and death will be over and the tree of life will be waiting for them because the cherubims are guarding it along with this whirling sword of flame. The way to the tree of life will be opened again for them to eat and live forever with Father God. We won't be able to get near the tree anyway, and I just can't imagine staying here in any part of the garden without them. Mr. T replied, Okay, Tula, let us go with them, my darling. It will be hard for us to keep up. But if I know my wife, and I do, you will find a way to be with the dirt man Adam that God loves until the way is opened back up to the tree of life. Then he pulled her close, wrapping his wings around her and said ever so sweetly, Now let's get going, my love, because I can see you are having more difficulty walking these days as you are getting a bit rounder with our growing babies and we need to find a nice tree before your time to give birth. Tula got a big smile on her face. Mr. T always found a way to let her know how much he loved her. And honestly, she was glad he said she was rounder with their growing babies and not fat. <laughs> he always had a way with words that made her feel good about herself. Because even worms can get their feelings hurt, especially when pregnant and feeling quite round. And she knew he was right. It was getting more difficult to walk as well. So Tula and Mr. T followed Adam and Eve out of the garden to find a new place to have their family. Once Adam and Eve settled in their new surroundings, Tula found a nice tree right near them and climbed it. Mr. T stayed close by her side as she went into labor. Tula had never given birth before, so she didn't know what to expect. As Tula's labor progressed, she realized she had lost the use of her legs completely and found herself becoming attached to the tree and unable to move at all. Her mind wandered back to the Garden of Eden. She was hungry and thirsty and thankful for the sweet sap of the tree she clung to. As she drank from the sap of the tree, 
she was fixed upon to nourish herself and her babies. She imagined herself on the tree of life, eating its beautiful fruit. As she did that and held the image of God the Father in her heart, she felt her body strengthened and become a hard shield protecting her babies. And as her babies took the nourishment of her body, she thought of Adam and how God had formed him so lovingly in his own hands from the dirt of the ground, the same dirt he created her from. And she started thinking about the new little creations getting ready to come forth from her and felt so much love for them. Tula was unable to move from the tree and she knew she could not do anything to free herself from the pain of birthing. Oddly enough, she felt naked and unashamed while letting her thoughts of the father bring her the care and comfort she needed. As she hung on the tree, feeling her children inside of her growing stronger, getting ready to come forth, but still knowing she had a couple days left, she started telling them all about everything she had learned and seen about God, the tree of life, and the dirt man, Adam, God so dearly loved. She left out no detail too small, but shared with them all she had stored up in her heart. She turned to Mr. T and whispered to him, I don't think I have much time left, my love. I feel like my breath is going out like it did from the lamb God clothed Adam and Eve with. But I'm not scared because I know Father is here and helping me. I'm not sure how he is doing it, but I feel cared for and loved. I feel embraced by the light. So now it looks like it's going to be up to you to look after our children and remind them of everything we have learned and seen together and what I am going through in bringing them new life. I know you will not always be around either. Someday your breath will leave from you as well. So I'm asking you to make sure you tell them not to forget these things and to stay near Adam and store up in their hearts everything they learn and see of God and Adam in the tree of life. Tell them to tell their children and their children after them to their children for every future generation. This is the way of the Tula. God has given us a purpose and story through our lives to reveal to the future sons and daughters of God so that they will always be looking forward to going back to the garden and eating from the tree of life and live forever with their Abba. Promise me, my dear husband and my true helpmate. Mr. T, with full, tears full of love in his eyes, wishing he could be the one to take her place so she would not die, held her close in the coming days and promised her he would remind their children all these things 
and carry on the way of the chula for the man to see. As <clears throat> I was just as more so emotional as I wrote it. <laughs> so, as the breath of life was about to leave Tula and their babies came forth, her scarlet red fluid began to shed from her body and pour out onto the bark of the tree and onto their children, permanent, permanently staining the tree and their little ones, marking them in the same scarlet red color in likeness of their mother. That scarlet red color distinguishing and setting apart their lives for a special purpose, a treasure to behold and depend upon, pointing to what the future generations of Tulas and Adams would come to know and understand as the lamb God would give of himself, his begotten son, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who would shed his own blood he would take their sin and death in his own body and separate it from them forever, setting them apart to inherit his life. The Lamb of God from heaven that was in and with the Father in the beginning who created all things would die away the death in the world and the body of death in the flesh that the first Adam brought into the world. But the lamb would not be permanently fixed to death. He would be raised up from the grave by the seed of life in the Father and the Holy Spirit of God in him in a new glorified flesh and bone body, immortal, that would never die again. He would open the way back up to the tree of life having taken the judgment of death that was upon them in himself and died away once for all, so that everyone that would believe upon the risen Son of God, the begotten of the Father from the beginning, for and as their own life, seeing the Father as their own Abba and the only one with life to give, would follow him back to the garden, and eat from the tree of life and live forever with God in glorified bodies that can never die on a glorified earth. They will be his sheep and he will be their good shepherd eternally and forever. Three days later, Mr. T watched the hard shell of Tula's body fade and turn soft like melting wax. He watched the body of his precious wife turn from scarlet red to white as wool and fall to the ground in a fluff which looked like fresh fallen snow and bread from heaven. He stored up and treasured what he saw and kept his promise to Tula and their children to teach them everything about Tula's life and death. He taught them all about God the tree of life, and the Adam man made from the dirt that God dearly loved and called his children. He reminded them daily to never forget and to store up in their own hearts these things and all they would learn 
he made them promise to teach them to their children and always look to God the Father for strength when they needed it and to remember the tree of life. That's What's the next chapter? <laughs> <laughs> the next chapter will be going into Cain and Abel. <laughs> I'm hoping to write, continue it kind of like a Bible for children through the story of the, of the crimson worm and to see the testimony of Jesus throughout all the scriptures and go through all the major events, you know, the flood, Moses, Jonah, and the whale, you know, everything all the way up until Jesus, so, um, King. So, anything? So, thank you. I hope it, I hope it blessed you all, and your butts are okay, because we did, <laughs> did go a little bit over, but not too bad. <laughs> so. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I, or roll to you. <laughs> Thank you.